This podcast edition of Other Side of Texas is brought to you by our friends at Flint Boot and Hat, a West Texas original. You want a great hat or you want to make your boots great again, go see them at 3035 34th Street or Flint and 34th Street in Lubbock or see more at flinthat.com. It was freezing cold in Dallas when I made my getaway. I ran a cold front when I gave my truck the reins Barreling down I-35 with one thought on my mind Forget the well, rest hey space, be that city far behind Jay West Texas Leeson here, rolling along on your other side. Glad you're in for this episode as we broadcast from the Racer Car Wash Studios. No, thank you. Racer Car Wash Studios uh, right here in Lubbock or leave it for the best wash around. Check out Racer Car Wash. Voted the best wash around. Five years running. Stop into one of five convenient locations across the Hub City for the best wash around. Racerwash.com is where you can go find those locations. Yesterday I started what is I opened up what's going to become a big problem across the state, maybe across the country, and uh, broke a little news. And I want to pick up here, a big show for you coming up, uh, Mike Bizarre, Bizarre Solutions, going to do some tech talk here, some technology talk, I know a lot of you are digging those, and uh, Mike Collier is running for Lieutenant Governor, former Republican. As a Democrat has plenty to say coming up in about half an hour about public education and about uh, property taxes in the state. Thanks for locking her in. You got something you want to chime in on? 806-745-5800 is where you can text into the program. Yesterday, I brought up and posted a piece on OtherSideOfTexas.com about the problem with rental cars after Donald Trump signed, and not Trump, I don't mean to single out Trump, the Congress and the President finally signed off on the Federal Aviation Administration Act of, well, it's Federal Aviation Administration Reauthorization Act of 2018 a big huge bill and within it is something about state taxation and it says if you missed the program yesterday you missed a piece we're gonna be talking about this over the next couple of days it says that you cannot tax on rental car rental cars at airports four projects away from the airport and so what that means is that effective October 5 that a, a very good interpretation and it's an interpretation that the big car rental companies have taken that we will not pay a tax for projects away from the airport in respective cities or counties now that sets it up I don't want your eyes to glaze over. I've been called crazy. I've been called you're in over your head. You don't know what you're talking about. 
Um, hold my Topo Chico and watch this. It's going to become a story across the state and across the country because that interpretation that I have taken, that the big car rental companies have taken, is going to go up against another interpretation that is if you do it at the airport you got to do it everywhere now this isn't just about lubbock county this is again federal legislation but i called the question on the lubbock expo center because i like to deal i don't know about you but the way i like to deal with policy is to know what we're getting into before we get into it and so all that to lay out i said it seems to me that this is this is either going to be not fought or i tend to think it will be fought but it'll be fought in courts in federal courts and so you still have a problem with the lubbock expo lubbock county expo center is between a 40 and a 50 million dollar bond and it's based upon hotel occupancy taxes, hot taxes, and up to 2% is what the ballot says, up to 5% on rental cars. Now, I've done a little math in my head, and I'm just going to throw this out there. I think that the biggest portion of what the Lubbock County Expo Center is after, the group that's backing it, is about $40 million in hot taxes in hotel occupancy taxes but a smaller margin a much smaller margin is eight million dollars now i think it would be wise for the group to come forward and say you know what there's a chance there's a chance that we aren't going to get this eight million but then that group that i know is composed of like i'll throw one name out right now for lubbock listeners a name that with which you'll probably be familiar if you follow local affairs tim collins tim collins is part of a group that raised 100 what 100 million a little bit more for the buddy holly center that's no hill for a stepper eight million dollars and they say that they've got a 10 million dollar endowment so if it is around eight million then i would think they could either raise it or maybe trim back on the project or uh, find it through other means well I, I i do think that they'd wind up raising it or maybe you go after a 50 million dollar bond uh, that's created a lot of conversation i'd be lying if i said i didn't spend a lot of time on the phone today about all this i think it's i think it's doable i just think it's intriguing to me as i cover state politics now dipping into national politics that there are a lot i would think there are a lot of proposals on the board that involve car rental for projects away from the airport i'm told that lubbock county has taken up council to look into this council that specializes in this kind of law uh and i've not said that any laws are broken i just look i love you guys i appreciate you you listen to the show I wanted to ask a question that a lot of people are going to start asking outside of Lubbock, outside of Texas, about what's going on here, but it just so happens to fall right in the middle of this Lubbock County um, Expo Center uh, situation. And 
I think that that group, whenever they decide that they want to come on and talk about it, I think that they'll be perfectly able to uh, articulate how they're going to overcome what I think is $8 million. And they've got people on it that have done far more than $8 million. So I asked yesterday in the piece, what's next? And I think that you can expect them to respond to it. I just don't like to get into politics. I'm all about public trust, and I want people to understand what's going on and to ask the questions before it's too late. I've asked the question. I think that they will respond. And it's curious to me that, you know, the controller's office, they say, well, that's a, that's a local, a county tax. It's outside of our purview. I spend, you watch this next legislature, they'll tell us how counties and cities are sub-political units, vassals of the state, creations of the state. Uh, but they can provide no guidance there. But there are plenty of people who see what I see and see it as an issue. I think that it's it's just me talking, um, my own belief. I think that this group can overcome that eight, what I think is eight million, just a sliver, and uh, uh, be able to deal with that in the days to come before the election. On and to be fair, like I said in the piece. An issue that they never saw coming. And an issue that a lot of people didn't see coming. So that's where I want to start with the program. Plenty more to say about that. Going to get in with some tech solutions with the technology talk. Mmm. Mmm. Doesn't that just make your innards turn? Uh, technology. Hot technology talk with Mike Bazaar coming up after the break. Stick right with us here. Other side of Texas. And then Mike Collier. Right here, AM 580. Hey, welcome back in this segment brought to you by Title One, Lubbock's digital real estate and title escrow company. Title One is committed to providing you with the highest level of communication and service from the time the contract opens until it closes. See how Title One can serve your realty, consumer, and lending needs at Title One. Dot com. Our friend Mike Bazaar. Look, we dig through stats on the program. We see uh, who's listening online and uh, who's listening to the podcast. We can't see your names exactly. Maybe Mike Bazaar can teach me how to do that. But no, a lot of you are uh, interested in technology and especially things that are interesting. So our friend Mike Bazaar back with us here on the program. Mike Bazaar. So let's let's talk about a couple of things here. Um, one, the great part of doing a radio show is that you can just talk about things that are interesting to you. Um, yeah. <laughs> my wife went in and got a new phone the other day, and just you know the way Apple does it now yeah. is AT and T, I guess, is it's just rent a phone. Yeah, they finally just started being straightforward. Yeah, and said you know you're just gonna rent. $800 over a yeah. given amount of time. Yep. And that's just tagged on your bill. And the question became, should I keep... She got one of those dumb eights that's huge. Yeah. But my <laughs> 10 has as much screen as she has. Yeah. And, but her phone is so much bigger. Yeah. Um, dumb eights. That's a good one. She said, should we keep this one for Grace, who's 11? Here's my first question. Not from an ethical 
moral perspective, but just simply a tech perspective, yep. maybe informed by moral and ethics, morals and ethics. But when should a kid have a phone? So uh, in a in an iPhone specifically. Yes, that that's a tough question because there's this huge, there's a d- bunch of studies that have shown, like there was one that just came out maybe two weeks ago, and they said that if kids are limited to less than two hours of screen time a day, and they get good sleep, their cognitive abilities go up. So like kids, like they get smarter. Like under eighteen. Uh, yeah, it's, they they did it as they just defined it as kids. I don't remember the exact age of the study. Okay. And so same thing, right? I've got so a, if they I've get got a more than two hours, then they're dumb. That's, it's I guess it falls off a cliff yeah. or something. But I think they've kind of said around that two-hour time frame. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting to me because it's the same thing. Like ten-year-old, eight-year-old, we've got a you know five and a three. But obviously the little kids you're not worried about. And so we've had that debate. And like there's part of me that wants to say when you're 21 you can have a cell phone <laughs> because it's just there's prevalence of of evil and bad and suck on the internet. And and that's the hard part, right? And so. I don't really care if he has a phone. And so we actually got him one of those LG watches. We can program 10 phone numbers in. If you're not in it, you can't call him. So he can call us and grandparents and a couple of friends, and it works out. So he's and got he's a, how old again? He's 10. Okay. But it's just a little watch. doesn't have any games or do anything else. And every time I think about caving on this rule and saying, well, maybe when he's a little bit, you know, or maybe we can. And so right now we're thinking 13 before we'll really honestly talk about it. But we're, in our house, going to probably push it there. And then we have examples like I have a friend today that texts me and says, hey, I have an IT question. I said, shoot. So her kid, fifth grader, goes to school. Another kid in class has a phone. I don't know, iPhone, Android, whatever. Comes over and says, hey, check it out, and pulls up his Instagram. And a couple clicks later, they're looking at porn on Instagram. Hold on. A 13-year-old has Instagram? Well, this isn't even 13. This is fifth grade, right? Oh, man. 11, 12. Has so, an Instagram account. A, apparently. Wow. Right. And I don't. Even, I don't. I don't do Instagram. But yeah, well, and a bunch of people do, right? And so, so here's the problem: is they go back to the school and say, "How can you allow this in the school?" Well, the truth is, the school by law has to filter and provide a safe environment, and they probably do. Uh, to the level they do with a Wi-Fi or so if you're on their connection right yeah and that's the hard part the kid comes in and he's got his phone with his data plan and the school has no control over that and it's the same thing my house I install the same content filtering we use at our office and everywhere else and so if you come to my house and get on my Wi-Fi good luck right (laughs) like you're you're not going to go do dirty things on it it's so we have a lockdown is that a texas school it is a lubbock school and they couldn't do anything about it but what are they gonna i mean you have to either seize the device or they have to you know it's personal property so it gets into constitutional rights of what can the school do to that property with that data connection now if he connects to their wi-fi he would be filtered right but the school's not letting people connect to their Wi-Fi or whatever it is. Mike Bazaar, Bazaar Solutions. Speaking of Wi-Fi, accessing other Wi-Fi, I don't know what the deal is, but whenever I go into certain stores, I'll look down and my phone's automatically on Wi-Fi. Yep. I didn't sign up. I've never said, hey, guest login, da-da-da. I've not done that before. What's that about? So... If you've ever connected to it or that same network name anywhere, it'll reconnect. Is so, it like a deal that AT&T made with it, a I, box store? Or? You know, I, I, honestly, I don't know because I've got Verizon. I've never had to auto-connect to Wi-Fi, but I have gone in places, and you forget. So you connected to Target's Wi-Fi once four years ago, and your phone has transferred the settings, 
and it remembers. So here's my West Texas suspicion. Yep. Whenever I get on another Wi-Fi, yeah, that everything on my phone is subject to being extracted or copied, duplicated. Yep. Is that is that a so, true thing? Like if you go in and you somebody says, "Hey, use our free Wi-Fi." Yeah. Can they swipe what's on your phone? They're collecting your data. So they are they aren't going to go and pull go to your Facebook and your Instagram or whatever and pull that. But they, pull they are going to look text messages? No, I mean I, I guess it's possible but that's hacking and they could get in a lot of legal trouble, I believe with that. So I would say no, most of the stores are not. However, we can set up on wireless that we sell. If we put it out here, it would tell you how many times a phone came by. And if it's a returning customer because as soon as you walk into a store, your Wi-Fi is on and says, "Are there any wireless networks?" Do I know any of you? And in doing that, it says, you know, I'm Mike's iPhone and, and gives it information. So without you even connecting to the Wi-Fi, they know that my phone came by, it talked to their access point, never connected, and, and they have whatever that little bit of public information that it gave out is now in their system. And so I can go put Wi-Fi in a store and pretty easily go tell you how many people came by, how many people went to the store instead of just walking by. And it's based on time averages, right? If, if you walk by, you probably can, saw the Wi-Fi for 30 seconds. But if I saw you for 10 minutes, you probably were in the store. Different things like that. So they collect all these analytics. Target, actually, there was an article that came out maybe a year or two ago. Target found out that a girl was pregnant based on her browsing in their store, on their Wi-Fi, on the Target app. Uh, they figured out that she was pregnant and they started showing her baby stuff before she knew she was pregnant. And then she got some stuff in the mail saying, you know, hey, we think you're pregnant or whatever, right? Target baby ads to her. And her parents were like, why are you getting baby stuff? How did they know? <laughs> it was She was on their Wi-Fi and she was in their app and she was looking at baby stuff but or whatever else. she didn't else. know that she was pregnant. No, I'm sorry. That one, she knew she was pregnant. Her parents didn't. Oh. So they ratted her out to her parents. That's oh. what that one was. Sorry, because she was looking at baby oh, stuff. Oh, man. So that's legal. Yeah, because she was looking but, at it. But stripping all my text messages, illegal. Yeah, not legal. My yeah. wife reminds me that I do have a um, Instagram account out there. So I never use it. So <laughs> I guess I set it so, up. It's one of those things I set up 10 years ago or whatever. Yeah, well, and here's the scary thing and why I say don't use public Wi-Fi if you can help it. Because while it seems convenient, they're going to collect your data. That's part of agreeing to the terms and, and things that you're sending and doing over the Internet. And two, it's really, really easy that? to hack. Okay, what does that mean, though? What what data without it being hacking? So any unencrypted data that you do, Google searches, uh, if you go to different websites, if you're on their Wi-Fi. All the free stuff. You have to send all of that through their servers to all, get out to the internet all these apps that you have that are free mm -hmm. quote unquote free and so it'll know that traffic came from your phone and they can build profiles around who you are mm. that's why like my wife loves the cartwheel app for target and i refuse stuff like that because i just know all they're really trying to do is give you 25 cents off of whatever bottle of shampoo so that they can know that you bought that bottle of shampoo because if you go in and you're using the app they know all your information and oh you use that coupon that means you bought it so now we'll sell you advertising for that, right? I mean, they big data is a lot of money. And the better they can advertise, the better the dollars are spent, the more money they can make. And so they collect a ton of information. Yeah, let's let's bring it home to uh, Texas politics, or, or I should say politics. I hear more and more that you know, political ops, I've always said consultants, uh, 
boy, consultants, some of them may have a pretty difficult judgment day. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> Fair enough. Political consultants. But some of the dirtiest political consultation is doing op research. And how prevalent the dark web has become on really going after uh, candidates yep. in, in races. So what would you think, like, let's say Mike Bazaar goes to the dark side and now he's a political consultant. What would you jump on the dark web? What First of all, what is the dark web and what would you be able to find on the dark web? Let's say me and you are running for a dog catcher and you really want to get me on something. <laughs> so two things. So first thing, what is the dark web? So about 4% of the internet is what you see the front end of google you know target the websites shopping all that stuff wikipedia that's about four percent of the internet and there's a huge part of it that's called the deep web which is big data analytics legal stuff still but it's a big kind of behind the scenes stuff you never see or touch and then there's the dark web which is a significant portion and that is um there was a website called silk road they've shut it down but it's you know a name everybody knows uh you could go buy heroin cocaine passports i just saw the other day um, and I'll, I'll go back and find this. I don't remember. I think it was $19 was the average cost of a fake passport. Um, it might have been 190 a but it fake passport? Yeah. Or like, a real... Well, a for realsy fake passport. My passport duplicated on the Internet, right? Wow. Somebody making a fake copy of my passport or me trying to start a fake identity, whatever the case is, so that I could go be a spy and, you know, slip around Europe like Jason Bourne without people knowing and with a stack of them in my pocket. So you're saying that... Again, let's get back to politics with, like, the dirty stuff. <laughs> what could you go in and find about somebody on the dark web? So there's two things I would say about that. You could probably find a vast majority of scary information on the regular web. Um, you can go, there's a website out there called True People Search. If you just go put your stuff in there, you'd be amazed at the amount of information that is out there. For very little money, you can go um, on the dark web. Just and, from public information. Yeah, just public information. Where you've lived, previous residences, aliases, uh, if you've gone to jail, a bunch of stuff that will show up. And that's on free sites or even paid sites that are legit, and a lot of it's public record. Uh, you just don't realize it's public record. The other thing is there's a bunch of them, like there's a company, Apollo, that just got hacked. 200 million people had data in there of some sort, and what they do is they take all of these back-end transactions. So they go to places like Target and Walmart, and they partner with them and say, hey, I want to buy your cartwheel data, and I want to buy this and that. And so they go and they collect all this data to know what type of toothpaste you use and weird stuff you might be buying or whatever. Again, wow. some of that is, it's... quote, publicly available because you bought it from a store, but you just don't expect somebody to be collecting it. And there's a lot of stuff out there that is collected about you you don't That's know. That's like... You don't even have to go through the dumpster. You're going through the shopping cart. Yeah, wow. that's it. And there's a ton of info out there. Now, on the dark web, you can get on that, and then you can really start how, whoa, whoa. digging. I don't want to go, but how would I go to the dark web? So there's a couple of ways. The The most known and, and used is there's a browser called the Tor browser. It's called the Onion Router, T-O-R. You go download it, just Google Tor browser. You'll find a place to download it. And then once you download it, it anonymizes most of your traffic. And then you can start searching the dark web and going and finding browsers and looking for bad stuff on the internet. Hey, you think that's what political op people use? Uh, you know, there's, like I say, you can go by credit card numbers on the regular web without ever getting to the dark web. 
So there's a ton of stuff that's out there that you don't even need the dark web. But if you get on the dark web, you can go find things like the Ashley Madison databases that got released. And then that stuff even ended up on the regular web. So you can go out and try to figure out, oh, has this guy got a, an account in Ashley Madison? Were you trying to cheat on your significant other? And some of that percolates back to the regular, and, and it's hard. And so we've got a dark web monitoring service we use for businesses, and you can buy personal versions of it and everything else. But it goes out, and it looks for stolen passwords, stolen emails, and, and looking for that combination. And then so, it'll also tell you personal information that it's found as well, if your date of birth, Social Security, that kind of stuff. So you provide a service where people can call Bizarre Solutions, and then you go through and you comb for what might be out there. Can you get rid of it? Not really. You just tell, hey. I mean, what are you going to do? Sue the bad guy and say, remove no, my data? I, so, okay. But you <laughs> would say, okay, I need a new credit card number or. Yeah, so if you find stuff for sale, if your credit card number is for sale, you can pro- proactively say, let me go get no. that canceled before okay. it is an issue. A couple more minutes here with Mike Bazaar on passwords. Yeah. What is the best, what's the best way to put in a password? The most hack proof password. Yeah. So. You'd be amazed that for the last, I don't know, 15 years, like password 123 is still in the top 20 of passwords used when they look at these giant hacked databases that somebody hacked and pulled it in. So we actually, I did a YouTube video on this last week. And so if you go find our Bizarre Solutions YouTube page, there's a two minute video that talks about it as well. So if you want to share it with other people, but the thing they say is that people suck at randomness. They aren't good at it and computers can figure it out. So if you change your password every 90 days, you're just going to add a one or a two or a three or an exclamation point at the end. And every A is going to be an at and algorithms know this and the bad guys know this and they run your database, your passwords through these big algorithms that'll crack them. So the thing they say now is complexity isn't as big a deal as length. And so the best thing to do that I have found, and so this is my advice to everybody is pick four random words. And the easiest way to find to do that is put yourself somewhere familiar, your living room, your office, your car, it doesn't matter, right? Pick some object and then pick four unrelated things. So in here, there's, you know, this beef cuts poster on the window, right? So you steak, flag, uh, clock, and, you know, cook-off, right? Even having steak and cook-off in it might be a little close. But if I put myself back in this position and say, okay, I made that password, I was sitting there, what did I look at? It's pretty easy to generally remember, right? And once you've done it a couple times, it'll it'll be easier. It's a whole lot easier than trying to remember, you know, beef cuts with dollars and numbers and whatever attached to it because it's just hard. And most people will use like their date of birth or the date they got married. I can Google that stuff now. It's all out there. So if I, you know, Google you and your wife and whatnot, I, I can probably find out when you got married. I can probably find out when you had kids. It's all public record. So if you use their date of birth, that password sucks too. And, uh, and so really they say length. So I tell everybody shoot for a minimum of 12 characters, but it's better if you can get up around 18 or 20 and you'll have a really hard password for something to guess. And it's not hard to get to 20 if you pick four unrelated words. If you really, if they're long words, use three, you know, it, so care, so special characters don't matter. Not anymore because people are done with it. So if you want to add a special character, it makes it more complex. Mm-hmm. But using an eight-character password with numbers and characters is worse than using a 20-digit or 18-digit or 15-digit password that's all lowercase. Mike Bazaar, it's bazaarsolutions.com, B-A-Z-A-R, yes. solutions.com. Mike Bazaar, thanks for making time.
Certainly, on Technology Tuesday, going to get to a break here and uh, you go back and share this podcast with friends. Check Mike out. Appreciate you coming by. Got another Mike coming on, Mike Collier. About uh, five minutes from now, going to go take a quickie break, make a little bit of money on our other side of Texas enterprise. Be right back with you here on the other side. Hey, welcome back into your other side. Uh, a couple of texts to get to here shortly. Oh, man. Quick question. Mike, jump back on your microphone right quick. Yes, sir. How can I fix my iPhone to forget all known public Wi-Fi connections? So there is an option, and I don't remember off the top of my head. You may have to Google it to reset your network, and it will forget all Wi-Fi and all network information. Um, it's under the network settings. If you go to the bottom, there's like a reset option. No. Just don't reset your whole iPhone and be mad uh, at me. How much would Obama's birth certificate from CIA Brennan cost the D- DNC? <laughs> you know, like probably find a fake one real easy. All right. And thank you, Mike. <laughs> 10 or 20 bucks. Do, doing a little overtime there. Thank you for the text, guys. The other side of Texas is sponsored by the law firm of Mullen Horton Brown, LLP. With offices in Lubbock, Amarillo, and Dallas employing creative legal solutions to address your business needs in the areas of commercial litigation, banking, financial restructuring, employment law, and estate planning. Now we go out to the phone lines and we've got a guy who used to be a Republican, now he's a Democrat making a lot of headway. I have called this race and said that this will be the closest race in texas we'll see if i know what i'm talking about his name is mike collier mike collier how are you good how are you jay it's good for you to be back on i know that you're busy on the road everywhere doing a bunch of events where are you calling from well i'm actually here in houston uh we're between houston and houston we're going to be in lubbock uh next monday yeah i saw something about that uh yeah yeah so we'll be up in uh, west texas and yeah. I look forward to it. Yeah, if people want to go meet you, where Montelongo's, right? Well, you know, I'm not sure that I know where the location is, Jay. I know the date, uh, which is Monday the 22nd and the time, 3.30. Okay. We'll have it posted on my website. I'm sure of the uh, location. Yeah, well, would be, let, me, uh, let me just check right quick for you. I know you got a lot of things going. It is, in fact, I'm on the press release Montelongo's uh, Mexican food restaurant uh, here in Lubbock. Uh, Mike Collier here on your other side. Mike Collier, we talk about issues that matter in rural and mid-sized Texas, and it is public education. A lot of people, look, I'm not even going to do the radio thing. It's not a lot of people. It's me, okay? It's me, myself. It seems a little bit disingenuous for me to see Dan Patrick promoting himself as a big pro-public education at this point because I've uh, had the pleasure or mispleasure of tracking a few sessions now. Uh, His record is definitely not that. What do you see whenever you, uh, or what do you think whenever you see Dan Patrick touting himself as uh, pro-public education. Well, he's not, Jay. I think he's just trying to survive this election cycle. 
um, you know, Texans are very pro-public education, and he's been working against uh, public education now for a long time. He first came into the Senate in 2006. I don't think he's ever helped uh, our schools. And, in fact, in his four years as lieutenant governor, he's cut funding uh, consistently year on year, and he slashed uh, retired teacher benefits. And so they're angry, and, and active teachers are wondering, you know, why would they pull the rug out for under the retired teachers? And there's just a the class sizes are very large. We don't have enough special education teachers. And it is, you know, I don't, I don't like to throw money at a problem today. I mean, I'm an accountant, um, but if you have classes that you know are 27, 28, 30 students, you don't have special education teachers, then nobody's going to learn a thing. Now you're wasting your money. And, and Dan Patrick has led us to that point, and the state is very unhappy with him because we value public education, and now he's scrambling. And I think it's too little, too late. Isn't that curious? It's curious to me, I should say, that public education, I don't, regardless R or D, Mike Collier, whenever I have conversations with people, they may be hardline uh, Cruz voters, they may be hardline whatever their Republican conservative state senator is, but when it comes to public education, it's almost as though they don't see partisan lines at that point. They see something that's uh, extremely important to their community so far as raising up right. the next generation of taxpayer citizens they see a primary employer they see kind of and i'm speaking from somebody who grew up in a town of 2904 people abernathy texas they see <laughs> um that this is the social and cultural epicenter of their community and then they just stop thinking. And I'll just lay out this example for you. I was in, right. I was in Colorado, and we stopped. My wife is a big time realtor, and so we had to stop. And uh, where we had cell phone reception, and it was on this pass, and there were two people there. And they were elderly, and they were from uh, from Amarillo. And I said, "Oh, you know, I do a radio show about state politics, and you guys have a great delegation there." Uh, with your House representatives, uh, members, and then your state senator, Kel Selger, and immediately they kind of looked at each other and said, ugh, like they might have a problem with Kel Selger, but then they said, well, we voted for Kel because he's for public education. It does cross Republican and Democratic lines, doesn't it? Oh, I think there's no question, Jay. That's uh, that's consistent with my experience, uh, not only as a campaign, but as a former Republican. I mean, you and I have talked before. You know my story. Uh, I have always believed in the importance of public education. I remember uh, George H.W. Bush said he wanted to be the education president. Do you remember that? Uh, that was in an era when, as Republicans, we could say, "Look, we got to have great public schools." I don't, you know, I don't want to waste money. I'm very passionate about let's make sure that our money makes it to the classroom and that we have our teachers are got what they need to do a good job. Uh, but if you don't put the right amount of money in, then you're wasting every penny of it. And then also, you know, I, I talk to college professors, Jay, and I talk to employ, uh, employers, and what they're telling me is that critical thinking skills is uh, just dropping like a rock. And it's not like the DNA of our children are changing. It's that our schools aren't getting the job done. And we're really going to sow the seeds of disaster if our young people can't get the kinds of jobs we're going to be creating for them. And, they're, you know, the jobs that we're going to be creating for them 5 and 10 and 15 years hence are going to be uh, very technology-oriented. They're going to need uh, critical thinking skills, STEM skills. And you're right. This is not a Democrat versus Republican thing. Uh, the vast
vast majority of Republicans feel the same way, and um, the polls indicate that. And I can tell you, I will say one last thing. You know, I spend a lot of time out and about talking to people. That's how you should run a campaign, in my opinion, is talking to voters. Uh, if they agree with you, they, they shake your hand and slap you on the back. If they don't agree with you, then they tell you what they're thinking, and you've got to put yourself through that if you want to lead. And I have uh, a large number of Republicans that come up to me at events and say, well, I decided I'm going to vote for you because I'm for public education. I just wanted to have a look at you, see if I can actually bring myself to do this. <laughs> it's oh, I, wonderful. I'm going to put We're, you. I'm going to put you in an uncomfortable situation for just a second. Mike Collier, right here yeah, on the other side of Texas. Whenever you talk about critical thinking skills, I think that there are a lot of people who look at these various races and they see that they could go up to that booth while nobody's looking, lifelong Republicans, and push the button for you. And I have said, and I'll just restate what I said as I introduced you, I have put my flag down on Collier versus Patrick being the closest race of the election. And that's not to say that you'll lose. It's just to say that it will be the closest in the election of everybody on the slate. Mike Collier... Your Democrat, your fellow Democrats, with the exception of Justin Nelson, he's done a good job of just sticking to issues. You would right. be in that camp as well. You've not. I, I've said this before, and you don't have to comment. There are three people in the Texas Senate race. I don't know who the Libertarian is, but it seems to me it's Beto O'Rourke, Ted Cruz versus Beto O'Rourke. And you've not put yourself. You stayed above the ideological issues. You've addressed them when you have to, but you've stuck with the meat of the matter. And that's part of the reason that I think that your race will be so close with Dan Patrick. Well, well, I appreciate that, Jay. I mean, that was our strategy coming into it. Uh, I'll be honest, I always viewed uh, my candidacy, my work in politics, as a bit of an experiment. You know, I started uh, by running for comptroller four years ago. You know that. And uh, I viewed it from the beginning as an experiment in the sense that there's like four or five things that I think we need to do to get a much better answer, more bang for the buck, uh, and we should do those four or five things. And I don't talk about anything else because there's just not enough time to talk about anything else. And then once elected, there won't be time to do anything else, frankly. But and if I can do those uh, handful of things, surely yeah, go there, ahead. Surely there are Democrats who lean hard left or you mentioned critical thinking skills don't see the math in front of them that might call your must and i think this is true you must get trump voters in order to meet the 50 percent in texas uh, but right. you must get some rub from the left that you need to spend more time on this identity politics issue on this ideological bend on this other ide- uh, identity politics issue do you hear a lot of that from the Democrat no. base. No, I don't. I don't, Jay. Uh, they, they treat me wonderfully. They're delighted that I'm focused on these issues. Uh, I, I will say this. I wrote a book uh, between election cycles. You know, when I ran for comptroller, and we didn't win, but it was very much a, a fiscal responsibility and corruption, get public education right campaign. The, the party came up to me afterwards and said, you know, nobody else is running the way you run. Why don't you stick around and maybe run higher on the ballot? in four years and I said I might but I went out and wrote a book and the reason why I wrote a book is that I wanted to cover all of the issues and I went around and uh, made sure everybody read it made sure all the donors read it and if you have any questions as to where I stand you can refer to chapter you know what have you 
and uh, so I'm not hiding from any of my points of view, uh, and uh, it's all out there, and so nobody gives me any guff. They're really quite pleased to have me working on these issues. I'll say this, though, Jay. I mean, that there is a feeling that the lieutenant governor ought to be in a technical role. But, you know, the lieutenant governor's not really there to be all things to all people. The lieutenant governor's there to make sure that legislation and the budget uh, matches our expectations, and it's a very technical role. Finance is at the heart of it. So, you know, I'm playing in the part assigned to me, and I feel great about it. Democrats are treating me wonderfully. Do you ever, are you ever concerned, and for folks listening, Mike Collier here on your other side of Texas, um, there is the ability, the lieutenant governor presides over the Texas Senate, over 31 senators, but there is the ability of those senators to oust the presiding officer if they so choose. Are you concerned that the majority of that body would be Republican and they could remove you as presiding officer? Well, they certainly could. I'm not, I don't spend any time worrying about it, Jay. I think, uh, you know, I think it would be political suicide, frankly, because imagine what it says to Texans. Well, imagine what it says to every senator in the state, every representative in the state, if Texans, you know, hire a Democrat to come in and be the lieutenant governor. It's because we want good public education. It's because we want to solve the property tax crisis. It's because we want to begin to solve the water crisis. You know, the further west you go, the harder that issue is. Well, we want to kill gerrymandering. That's a big part of my agenda is to kill gerrymandering because it leads to corruption. So uh, I, there's no doubt that my winning will be you know, the result of a referendum. And if they want to come along and uh, strip me of my powers because they disagree with the state of Texas, they certainly could do that, but I don't think they'd survive their next election. In their own district, Mike Collier? Pardon me? It, survive their own elections within their own districts that may well lean very far Republican? Oh, I don't think... I think we're a lot more alike than we are not alike, Jay. Uh, I think uh, I think once... The, the, the problem has never been, in my opinion, with uh, senators that lean too far to the right. I think the problem's always been leadership. And uh, with Dan Patrick gone, who's basically... You know, Dan has run that Senate with a very, very heavy hand. More so than any other lieutenant governor in history that I'm that I'm aware of. He got rid of the two-thirds rule, stacked the commissions with people that... Uh, uh, do exactly as they're directed. People are afraid of them. They don't express their point of view. I watch these senators in action. They go out on the campaign trail to the extent they've faced voters, and they spend their whole time trying to defend the bad decisions that they've made. It's contrasted to listening to what's on Texans' minds. Now imagine if you, uh, you know, you push, get Dan Patrick out of the way, and bring democracy back to that Senate. Then all of a sudden, I think that much more. You know, we're more alike than we are not alike. And you so do, I'm, not, I'm not worried about it. Well, look, for people who are not familiar with Texas politics, in that body of 31, he mentioned the two-thirds rule. Essentially, now it's a three-fifths rule. You have to have, what, 20 people to bring something to a floor. So it puts the Republican majority that is under the lieutenant governor's thumb. Uh, you don't see those green slips anymore. You aren't walking around trying to get 20 signatures and it's effectively, Mike Collier, I've called it this before, what we have at play now is effectively an unconstitutional veto by the lieutenant governor in the Texas Senate. I agree. That's no way to run the Senate. It's not democratic. And I'll tell you what, Jay, that's, that's how it is that you know Dan Patrick's going to lose his election because he, he got a control of that Senate in an anti-democratic spirit. 
took us to a place we didn't want to go, namely cutting public education, letting property taxes skyrocket. Uh, he wasted everybody's time on a bathroom bill that I think was just overreach. Let the school districts handle that. Never came up. Never that. came up in the primaries. Yeah, I, that's I right. didn't. I didn't hardly hear it come up at all. Mike Collier, let's switch gears for a little bit. I know that you're busy, yeah. and we're got uh, a few more minutes here. Uh, but let's switch to property taxes for people. Right. This is their. In, this is their 101. Their Mike Collier 101. You've laid out a pretty profound point on how businesses get through loopholes and residentials wind up uh, footing the bill. Talk to our listeners a little bit about that. Yeah, so there was a a property tax law called Equal and Uniform that was uh, introduced and passed in 1997. So this goes back quite a long time ago. And uh, it, it was meant, I think, to protect homeowners, and I like the fact that it does protect homeowners. It says that if, you know, you get an appraisal, and there's a house across the street with a lower appraisal, and the houses are comparable, you can get your appraisal reduced automatically. I think that's fair. It helps homeowners and helps small businesses. But it was worded, the the language is haphazardly worded. And uh, you know the tax departments of these big corporations got a hold of it and said, hey, we can sue and we can drive down the uh, appraised value of our refinery or our petrochemical plant or downtown skyscraper or strip mall. And they have been exploiting that loophole and, since 97. Everybody knows about it. Governor Perry was worried about it back in the mid uh, in the mid 2000s and everyone was looking at it and we got to the point where four billion dollars a year was missing because these guys aren't paying their taxes and uh, it's still very very real. The Legislative Budget Board just wrote a report just two years ago and handed it to Dan Patrick and said this is real we, we got this loophole so we need to close that loophole and if we don't close that loophole then they're just mocking homeowners when it comes to property taxes and this isn't raising taxes, Jay. This is just enforcing the law. I mean, your house is at market value. My house is at market value. You pay taxes on that. All right. Well, if you own a downtown skyscraper, you got to pay taxes on the skyscraper. And 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 I've been making this speech, so to speak, for five years. I've written it in my book. I've written a dozen op-eds, all the major newspapers. Never once has anyone said I'm wrong. And I've been campaigning on it for 18 months. Even Dan Patrick hadn't said I'm wrong. Everybody knows about this loophole. So before we do anything else, close that loophole, recover that money, then it starts to be fair. How much money That's is that, Mike Collier? I believe it's $5 billion. The, the last time five that it was billion comprehensively $5 billion, yeah, with a B. The last time that it was calculated comprehensively and it was done by the largest appraisal district in the state was back in the mid-2000s, 2004 was when they did it. They calculated then that we were missing $4 billion. So inflation would suggest it's now $5 billion. Nobody knows precisely how much it is. There are people out there that are, would, would say it's larger than that. I'm not going to make up numbers. Uh, all I know is that it was calculated one in 06. I think it was 06 or 05 uh, at $4 billion. That would suggest it's $5 billion now. And so what I'm saying is close that loophole. Let's recover that money. Let's see how much we got. And uh-huh. if, that's, if that isn't enough, and we need to do more with public education, then it'll be about time for me to run for re-election. Then I'll tell my neighbors what I think the answer is, and if they don't like the answer, they can fire me and hire somebody else. If they do like the answer, and if they trust me, then we'll go to the next step. That's the way the market shadow work, in my opinion. So let's stick with your $5 billion projection. Uh, if if elected, let's say $10 billion, and then let's be <clears> realistic <throat> and say you recapture 
6.5 billion where does that money go well so this money will flow, this money will flow into the coffers uh, of the schools and the counties and the cities I mean anybody who any any government entity that draws its revenues from property taxes will see an increase in their revenues uh, and this is going to be large corporations paying more and I you know semantics are important I don't want to confuse people it is not raising taxes because it's enforcing the law however it does mean that corporations will put more money in, and they have to, because they've been putting in less, so homeowners are putting in more. So we need to reverse that. Now, the money will flow into the school district, it'll flow into the city, it'll flow into the county, they'll have more money, and then wisdom will prevail, they should be able to lower their tax rates. That's how homeowners will end up getting a better deal. Mike Collier, last question for you here. Yeah. You're heading into early voting on Monday. And by the right. way, I want to say hello to uh, the lieutenant governor's people who may be listening. Invitation wide open for the lieutenant governor to come on this program has refused, uh, has not accepted, I should say, thus far. Lieutenant governor was, I believe, Donald Trump's uh, guy in Texas, whatever you call it. Uh, right. His. Campaign, campaign chairman, I think it's called. Campaign chairman in Texas. Yeah. You're going to need yeah. Trump voters, Mike Collier. Um, what do you say to people who voted for Donald Trump 2016 and tend to vote for Donald Trump again in 2020? What do you say to them about coming over to Mike Collier for lieutenant governor in 2018? Well, I would say, I would say, Jay, I know for a fact that there are folks in this state that like Donald Trump and they like me. And uh, and what they see what they see in both of us is that we're going to come from the outside and shake things up. And sometimes coming from the outside and shaking things up is a darn good thing. And so I would welcome them. You know, I, I often get asked, you know, Mike, are you conservative or are you liberal or what are you? You know, I don't fit the profile. Uh, worked at Exxon, came out of PricewaterhouseCoopers, a Democrat. The way I answer that always is this: I'm an accountant. I'm an analyst. And so I don't look at these issues through a partisan lens. I look at these issues through as if I were consulting a big corporation and trying to solve a complex problem. And um, that appeals to people. Nobody else seems to be doing it in the state government. And if there are folks that see that, see the same thing in me that they see in Trump in that respect, then I welcome them. You know, come on, let's go. Let's solve these problems. He is Mike Collier. You can hear this wherever you can get a podcast, Stitcher, Google Play, Apple, uh, othersideoftexas.com. Mike Collier. Uh, appreciate you making time out there on the campaign trail again uh, next Monday. Monilong goes three o'clock, three thirty. Three thirty. Yeah, right there. Uh, yeah, Mike Collier in Lubbock, Texas. Thank you so much, Mike Collier. Thank you, Jay. Good talking to you. All Bye. right, all right. Uh, get into a little break. Went a little long there in that segment, but I like a guy who comes on and gives a skinny, and Mike Collier does that. Some skinny from our advertisers. Stick right with us here through some Gringo Honeymoon right here on your other side of Texas. Hey, uh, right back here on your other side, uh, this segment brought to you by lubbock file room lubbock file room providing safe and secure document storage and shredding 
services to Lubbock and the surrounding areas. I'm sorry. I'm reading off my iPad and I've got to turn off the text messages during the show. Uh, providing safe and secure document storage and shredding services to Lubbock and the surrounding area since 1992 for a free and hassle-free estimate. Call LubbockFileRoom.com at 806 744-7666 today yesterday I brought up an issue that is going to begin to turn up just mark my words mark my words J West Texas leasing words is going to begin to turn up in statewide publications and that is uh, taxing commercial entities at airports in using it for projects outside of the airport the Congress passing a bill and saying that those those revenues can only be utilized for uh, what's going on at the airport itself, terminals, runways, and the like. Uh, plenty of there are about to get a hold of this. We're seeing the front of it. I've said this before, and I'll say it again. Uh, the proposal in Texas, in Lubbock, Texas, is going to be the first that has to deal with this, but there will be others to come. I think that this... I'll say this, I like the project, and I'm just being transparent with you. I like the Expo project. I think that it's a good project. I think that there are some questions that need to be addressed before we start voting on Monday. I think that the people involved with that Expo, Lubbock County Expo effort, are more than able to handle some of these questions and uh, before the election rather than after. Uh, because it's going to be after, look, it's after where real decisions are made. They are trying to get permission to go forward, but it'll be county commissioners that come in and decide what roles, goals, and expectations are. Um, and if these questions are lingering then, then it's just going to turn into politics. While we're in control of the vote, I think that uh, these questions need to be addressed. I think that it is a group that is more than capable of overcoming what I think is an $8 million shortfall on car rentals. Uh, I think that they'll be able, like I said, to look reevaluate the project, uh, to raise some money. People on that um, committee have raised more than 10 times as much money. And uh, get into that a little bit more over the course of the week for now. Asking the questions and trying to... Not now, Robert Earl. Trying to bring you the issues that matter in a way that uh, only we can because we rave on here on the other side of Texas. Tomorrow on the program, Ross Ramsey. And I guess I cannot confirm yet, but I think you're really going to enjoy your other side in the next episode for now gotta get home gonna get home got a great family some below average homework and above average dinner to get into and uh we'll see you next time right here on your other side other side of texas at ostx on twitter and download the podcast subscribe to the podcast anywhere that you can find a podcast talk to you tomorrow right here from love it or leave it